turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. We will continue our series on the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. If you haven't been with us, please go online and listen to the previous four messages. This morning's message is the most frightening for me out of all of them. Uh, Jesus addresses the church of Sardis by saying to the church of Sardis, you're dead. Could you imagine being a church that Jesus wrote to and said, you're dead? This is a church, the bride of Christ, and Jesus addresses the church as dead. And so we will see what Jesus says to the church. I believe he's saying the same to us this morning. For us to get back to him, we must do five things, and we'll see that. The outline will remain the same as it has the previous four weeks. The last four weeks we've looked at the city, we've looked at the church, we looked at the authority of the author, of the king, Jesus. We'll look at that, and then we'll look at what he addresses to the church, and then we'll look at his affirmation to the church, how he affirms the church in order to, and for them to go forward. So we will uh, spend some time this morning really in the middle section. There's these five things that Jesus calls the church to do. Um, let's pray and ask God to reveal his word to us this morning. God, thanks so much um, for what we just heard. Uh, you do. You love us. You care about us. and You are writing us the way you wrote this church, Sardis, a letter. You write us every day. I pray that we uh, hear what you have to say to us. I pray for us this morning, God. And I pray that you would awaken our hearts to your word, the very essence of who you are. You give us life. You give us hope through your word. I pray that we leave here this morning hopeful. I pray we also leave here encouraged. I pray you leave, let us leave here convicted. Uh, if there's anything in our lives uh, that don't uh, line up with you, I pray that we'd hear this word and it would transform us. I pray this in Christ's mighty and famous name. Let's read Revelation chapter 3. 1 through 6 together. It says this, chapter 3, verse 1, And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains, and it is about to, that it, what is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what, what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white. For they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed. Thus in the white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear <clears throat> what, the, what the Spirit says to the churches. And so we see that Christ is writing this church in Sardis. Sardis was a city that is about 30 miles from Pergamum to the south. And, per, and Sardis was on the top of this hill. And Sardis was known for, the city was known for, it was a great city. At, at its heyday, it was about 120,000 people. And Sardis had built the, uh, their city on the top of this hill, and on the back side of the hill was just a straight cliff. 
And so they had walls on, around the city except for this one backside of the city. They thought to themselves, we'll never be conquered because there's no way anyone will ever get up the backside of the hill. They had pride. And so they put watch over all the city except the backside. It, said, it says about the city that they were so prideful that they would uh, have, a, have a lion. And wherever the lion would go, the lion would protect them. And the lion wouldn't go on the backside because the lion knew it didn't need protection on the backside. And as the ancient writers say, that there was this one day that one of the guards was walking around the city and his hat fell off and it rolled down the backside of the hill and there was a waiting army watching it and this boy, this man, goes and finds his hat and this army sees how he gets back up the backside of the hill. And so the army then follows his footsteps back up the side of the hill and they are caught off guard. And Jesus writes this to this church and to us, I think, the same way. He says it, that we must wake up in verse uh, 2, that we must wake up and we must be alert. I think so often we can be alert in so many ways, like the city was, and yet there's this place in our lives that we, don't, we are not watchful over because we think we have it. That's what happened to the city. It happened two different times that the city was conquered in that way. It was an amazing city known for how it could dye wool. It was the first city that was able to dye wool. And so here's this massive city on the top of the hill that wasn't watchful to being conquered. And it was conquered. And I think for me, as I think about the city, is my life a representation of the city? Are there places in my armor, if you will, are there places in the wall of my protection that have a crack in it that I think, ah, not a big deal? Because I have enough protection around me, but there's this one place I leave unwatched. What is that for you? What is that for me? You would think the city would have learned its lesson on the first time it got conquered, but it didn't. And so it, get con it gets conquered again the second time, and it never regains its prestige, its majesty once it once had. And so here we see that there's this church in this city on the top of the hill that did the same thing. That it wasn't watchful. So much so we don't know anything else other than this one little piece of scripture and these six verses about this church. But it's important enough that Christ himself would write this church because I think it's so true for us that this church looked like it was alive, but it was dead. It was a dead church in a dead city. And so Christ writes this letter to them. And this is how he starts. We know very little about the church other than it's dead. That would be a terrible reputation to have. If Powell's Chapel would be known in this community, oh, you know, you've heard of Powell's Chapel, the dead church. I hope that would quicken our spirits. We celebrated 140 years. I pray that we celebrate 140 more. But if we don't do what this chapter says, we will, it will be said of us the same as it was said about this church. We will die if we don't do what this word tells us to do. First in us personally and then in us as a church corporately. We must do these five things that we'll look at in this passage. 
So Jesus writes them the letter and he says this. He's going to show them his authorship and the reason that he has the authority to write to them in the very first verse. It says, and to the angels. Remember, the angels is just to the, the pastor, to the shepherds of the flock, to the pastor, write this to the church of Sardis. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Jesus is referring back to himself. If you'd like to look over at chapter 1, verse 4. It says this. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and was and is to come. We just sang about that. From the seven spirits who are before his throne. Je Jesus refers back to chapter 1, verse 4. The, the, the word seven spirits isn't this crazy seven spirits. It's the Holy Spirit. The number seven is the number of perfection. And he says, you'll see in chapter five, 4 and 5, he talks about there's the seven spirits that have seven eyes that look all over the place. It's not seven eyes. It's one eye that's in complete perfection and harmony with God. It's not seven the number. It's seven as in the, the idea of completion, perfection. And so Jesus is saying to him about the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, he says, write this, the words of him who has the seven spirits, who has the Holy Spirit of God. And he's saying to the church, there is a messenger, the Holy Spirit, that sees everything, and I am he. I see everything. There is nothing in our lives that is hidden from God. He is saying this to the church. Church, I see it all. Even the things that you do in private, even the things you do in secret, there is the Holy Spirit that lives in you this morning. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And Jesus is saying to the church and to us, I see it all. I see everything. And then the next thing he says to them and the seven Church, the seven stars. The seven stars is referring to the seven pastors. He's saying, I have the Holy Spirit and I see everything. I see all that the church is doing. I see all that the pastors are doing. He's saying, I'm totally informed with everything that's going on. We don't have an uninformed God. God doesn't need to read the newspaper to be caught up on what's going on in our lives. God is writing the newspaper. He sees it all. And he's saying, I have the authority because I see everything that's going on in this church. I can write this to you. And he, go, he starts the address to them. He starts off, if you remember back in the previous four churches, he starts off with a word of encouragement to them. You, you know, he says, I know the works that you do. I, I know these things. He says to the church in Ephesus in chapter 2 verse 2 I know your works I know your toil your patient endurance I know how you cannot bear against those who do evil he's saying I give you this encouragement to the church of Smyrna he, he says this in verse 9 of chapter 2 I know your tribulation I know your poverty I, I know those who slander against you but you stay strong even in the midst of persecution he's saying this to Pergamum he said, I know where you dwell. I know your persecution. He gives them encouragement. And this is the first letter that he doesn't start with encouragement. How come? Because God knows he must address the dire need of them being dead before he encourages them. 
You know, it's the first things when someone writes you a letter are some of the, the first things that people say to you and the last thing that people say to you are the most important. In my experience, the middle is just kind of fluff. It's just kind of filler. And so Jesus writes them a letter and goes right to the point. He doesn't waste any words or any time to say this to the church. I know your works. Remember, that word know means I know you intimately. He just told us how does he know him intimately because he has the Holy Spirit who's telling him all that's happening in the church. And what does he have to tell them? What does he have for them in a way of rebuke? He says this, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 23. It's this idea of the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees back in the Gospels, back in Jesus' day, they were the religious. They were the ones who had it all together. They looked like they had it all together. They were the leading religious people of the day. They were the leaders of the Jewish culture. So they looked on the outside like they had it all together. They dressed right. They spoke right. They said the right things. They didn't do the wrong things. They had it all together, and yet this is what Jesus says to them. <clears throat> he says this in verse 27. These are the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees, the seven rebukes to the religious people of the day, the, the pastors of the day. He says this in verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and, unclean, and unclean, all uncleanliness. So you have an outward appearance righteous to others, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He says, you look like you have it all together. Your outsides look well. You are whitewashed tombs, but inwardly you are dead. You are full of dead bones. I was thinking of this as I was preparing for this. I've got a dear friend that, if you're a hunter, great. So he's a hunter, and he's got this room in his uh, cabin in Wyoming, and he has a bunch of dead animals in there. He's killed a ton of animals, and they're stuffed, and they're all over the wall. And there's this one in his office that Tennyson went to see, and my father-in-law, he's a big hunter and a fisherman too, and so even in, in we'll, we'll call him Pop-Pop, his name's Mr. Mark, Pop-Pop has a dead fish on the wall. And Tennyson, for the longest time, when she would see a deer head or a fish on the wall, was freaked out. I, I'm still freaked out when I see dead animals, but it was as if to Tennyson, her mind was saying to her, hey, there's an animal hanging on the wall. And there's no telling what that animal will do. You know, my friend's got a huge, big black bear rug in the middle of this uh, floor in his house. And Tennyson was freaked out by dead animals. How come? Because they look so real. They look so real. C could you imagine the mind of a three-year-old walking to a house and seeing the head of a deer hanging on the wall? Thank goodness it didn't, like, move or anything. But that's what Jesus is saying to, to the church. You look like you, you are alive. That's the purpose of hanging dead animals on the wall. They, people want you to think they look 
real. They put them in like poses. Like it's a dead animal, and like there's like a bear like clawing at you. It's like, well, it's still dead. It's not coming after me. But in the mind of a child, it's like well, that is scary. And that is what Jesus is saying to the church. You are just a stuffed animal that everyone around you looks like you're this ferocious beast, but you're dead. You can't do anything. You see that fish on Pop-Pop's wall can't jump out and and do what fish do to people, which will bite you and hit you with their tails and and be really annoying. That fish isn't going to do that. And the bear hanging on my friend's wall isn't going to leap off the wall and maul us in his living room. We're not afraid of the, of, of the hanging of the bear skins. And yet we would say, it looks so real. That looks so real. You know, as a boy, I, I would go to, it was called the Trophy. I don't know what I'd go there for, but as a boy, I'd go to this place called the Trophy. It was the barbershop. And they had all kinds of stuffed animals in there. And they looked so real. But they weren't going to do anything to me. And yet that's what Jesus is saying to the church. You look so real. But you're not going to do anything to this community. You're just a building. And inside your building is just a bunch of dead bones. You look alive. You have a reputation of being alive. But you're dead. You're a dead church. And Jesus says to them, it's so much like the story of Samson. If you know the story of Samson, Samson on the outside looked huge. He was amazing. He was, he was a, a freak athlete. He had strength that no other man ever had. Right? And he knew that about himself. He knew that when he was in line with God, his strength was amazing. And then what happened? He fell in love with a woman who seduced him. And time after time after time after time, she came to Samson and said, Samson, hey, what, where do you get your strength from? And he lied and he lied again. And finally, after, after Delilah came to Samson the last time, he said, it comes from my hair. God has given me my strength. It comes from my hair. And what happens? They come in and they take Samson. They cut all his hair off. And then nothing externally happened to him. It's what happened internally. The spirit left him. And when the spirit left him, the strength left him. And it said this in in the the story of Samson, that the presence of God left Samson. It wasn't as if he woke up that next day with no hair and he he was a shriveled man. He still had the physique of of a, a Greek god. He was huge. And yet his insides had changed. And it wasn't until what it says that he came into repentance, that the Spirit came back and fell on him and his strength returned to him. I don't believe it was just his physical strength returned to him. I believe it was his soul strength returned to him. It's the same words that are used in in Luke chapter 15 where the prodigal son leaves and he squanders all of his money. And it says this, and we'll get to this. He says this, to, uh, it says it came to his senses. It, he came back to himself. It's what Jesus says, if we want to not be a dead, but we want to be alive, we must do this. He says this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. If we're not going to be a dead church, what will we have to do? It says this, first we must what? Wake up. 
the first thing that we must do, that Jesus calls us to, is to wake up. Are we awake this morning? Am I awake this morning? Have I come to my senses this morning? Have I come back to myself this morning? Am I awake this morning? He's saying that's the first thing that we must do when we're dead. We must, if we've turned from the Lord, we must wake up to ourselves. And he's going to show us how we wake up to ourselves. Have we fallen away from the Lord this morning? Have we backslidden away from the Lord this morning? Have we gone away from what God has called us to do? God is saying to us, you are dead if that's happened to you, and now you must wake up. Wake up, O oh sleepers, is what Christ is saying. And then he says this, that's the first thing. When we are a dead church, when we have lost our first love, when we have fallen away from the Lord, we must wake up. The second thing, he says this, strengthen what, what remains and what is about to die. Strengthen. And what is Jesus talking about? What is he saying to the church? What are they to strengthen? I believe it comes right out of chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 5. I believe it goes back to what he says. He says, the one who conquers will be clothed with those in white garments, and I will never blot them out of the, out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father. Jesus is referring to what he talked about back in the Gospels where he says, hey, if you confess me before others, I'll confess you before others. You see, I believe what happened in the church of Sardis was they stopped confessing the power of Jesus Christ. You see, Sardis, the city of Sardis, the people of Sardis, was a very Jewish culture. You see, and if, as a Christian, they began to talk about the power and the resurrection of Christ, then they would then come into persecution because Jews did not believe Christ was the risen Savior. And so I, I believe that the church of Sardis stopped confessing what gave them their salvation, and that was Jesus Christ. You see, the moment we stop confessing who Jesus Christ is, we will die. Do I, do I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior? Do I believe him to be true for who he really is? And so what Jesus is saying, go back to that. Strengthen your salvation. You know, Paul says, work out your salvation with much fear and trembling. Strengthen your salvation. Is my salvation strengthened this morning? Is your salvation strengthened this morning? Or are we weak in our, in our salvation? We must do these spiritual exercises daily. We must practice spiritual disciplines in our life to strengthen our relationship with God. There's a ton of spiritual disciplines. But do I have an effective prayer life is one. Would my life, if you were to look into my life, see it as marked as a man of prayer? The second, I believe, would be what Jesus says throughout his word. Do I know his word? David says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do I know God's word? Do I meditate on God's word day and night? Or is just this another book that lays in my car? The other thing I believe that would be so true is, am I in fellowship with other believers? Or have I fallen out of fellowship? Do I practice the spiritual disciplines? Do I strengthen my faith daily so that I don't fall into sin, so that therefore once sin happens, sin causes death. That's what Ephesians 2 says. 
this word, what he's talking about is when we die, it's not just physical death, but this word is talking about our spiritual death. Every time that death is mentioned in the New Testament, it's referring back to sin. Sin causes death. And the only way for us to stay out of death is to strengthen our ongoing relationship with, with Christ. He then goes and says this in verse 3, the third thing that we see is this. We must what? Remember then what you have received and heard. What did they receive and hear? The message of the gospel. We must remember the gospel of Jesus Christ daily. That there is a resurrected Christ that died for us because we are sinners and we are apart from Christ. We must remember that daily. Let us never forget where we've come from. Because it's not us that drew us to God. God himself drew us to himself. It says in the Psalms that he picked us with his mighty hand out of the miry clay. Do we remember that? Or is it just something we did as a boy? Is it just something we did as a little girl? And the power of the resurrection in our lives it no longer has the power because we don't remember where we come from. And so for us not to die, we must remember where we come from. We must remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must remember the cross of Jesus daily. My hope is that the cross of Jesus isn't just something we wear around our necks and hang on a wall. It's way more than, than a decoration. That is a symbol of the power of a resurrected Christ that now lives in us. Do we believe that this morning? We have to go back and we have to remember that daily. Do we remember what we received and what we heard? The fourth thing is this, keep it. That word means hold on to it, hold fast to it. Do I hold fast to the cross of Jesus? Do I hold it with all of my might? Am I holding fast to the gospel this morning? You see the church in Sardis let go of it and they were dying. You see the church in Sardis start, they had it all, they had everything they needed and yet they forgot the one place of vulnerability for them, the backside of the city. That one place in our lives we don't hold on to because we think we have it. And our lives ought to be marked with I have nothing there's nothing in my life that, that I have power and control over. I cannot my, protect myself from myself. I need the Holy Spirit of God to do that. My prayer is for us as a church. My prayer is for you. My prayer is for me as a believer is that there's no backside of the mountain that's left exposed. That every part of my life is protected. That I would come to a place daily that says I don't have it but there is one who does. There is one who can protect me of it all. I think it has to go back to, do I confess that to the Lord? Am I honest before the Lord and says, there is a place that there's a gap in my life and I need your protection there? Do I know my weak spots? You see, we have an adversary, it tells us in 1 Peter, that prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to devour us. He doesn't go after the strong, he goes after the weak. Satan knows your weak points more than you know your weak points. And he's going to go after those. He's going to attack us in those places. He's not going to go after the, the front. He's going to go after the back. He's going to go back after the part that isn't covered, that isn't protected. But if I, what? If I wake up and I strengthen my, my relationship with God, I remember where I come from, then I really will hold fast. And the last thing is this. 
Do I have a lifestyle that is ongoing in repentance? Is my life marked with repentance? That's what he tells the church. He says, remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Have an ongoing, active life of repentance. Is that true for me? Is that true for you? He says this. He says, if you don't do these five things, if you don't wake up, if you don't strengthen your relationship with me, if you don't remember where you come from, if you don't keep it and you don't repent, then he says this. This is what will happen. This is the promise. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what hour I come against you. He's saying to the church, if we do not wake up, that there is judgment coming. We cannot escape his judgment. He's told the other four churches... He's told the other churches this up until this point. He then declares himself as a righteous and judgeful God because of their wickedness. You see, if we praise God for his salvation, we must also praise God for his judgment. We can't have one without the other. Is that true for my life? Do I believe that God is a judging God and judges the heart and judges my soul where I come from? Do I believe that this morning? And now he says the encouragement. He rebukes them, and then in verse 4 he gives the encouragement. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. That, that simply just means, the word soil just means that you have not defiled yourself. You have not fallen into wickedness. You have not abandoned what you know to be true. You have not abandoned the gospel. There's still a few of you left in the church. There's still a few of you left in the church that still confess my name to people. And he says this is the promise for those. I pray that would be the promise for us this morning. He says, they will walk with me in white. The word white just simply means that they will be pure and they will be holy. In this life and in the life to come. When we hold fast to Christ, Christ's promise to us is that when we enter into eternity, we will be pure and we will be holy. Do I believe that this morning? Do I believe I will be pure and I will be holy if I hold on to Christ? He goes on and says this. They are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, purity and holiness. And this is the promise. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. You will have eternal life is what that means. When we hold fast to Jesus, we have eternal life. We will be pure and we will be holy. It's going to all start with a place of waking up, strengthening our ongoing relationship with God, remembering where we come from, keeping it and living a life of repentance. He will never blot us out of the book of life. And he says this, great promise. I will confess his name before my father. He's as if he is saying to us, I stamp you with the stamp of approval. And when we go through the assembly line, we won't be rejected. The, the, the person that sees it says, yes, well done, well done. It is right, it is right, it is good, it is good. And then he says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Again, he goes back to wake up. Is it true in my life? Is it true in your life? If you're dead here this morning, 
if you've fallen away from the Lord, if your life does not point back to the cross of Jesus, would you this morning wake up this morning? My hope is that the Spirit of God would be in tune with your heart this morning, and He is shaking your heart this morning, and He is waking you up this morning. Wake up. Strengthen. Will we live our lives strengthening our ongoing relationship with God? Remember the cross of Jesus Christ. Hold on to it and continue to repent. I love how this ends. It's the strongest rebuke out of all the churches, that they're dead. What he's saying to them, he's saying to us, you don't have to be dead any longer. We have a risen Savior that offers life to all of us this morning. And if you're dead this morning, you do not have to walk out of here not knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, not knowing the power and the resurrection of Jesus. He has saved you, he will save you, and he'll continue to save you if we place our hope and our trust and our faith in him this morning. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? Are we a dead church, Powell's Chapel? Are we a dead church this morning? I pray not. I hope not. I pray that we would remember the beautiful cross of Jesus. Let us pray. God, thanks for your word. I pray for us this morning, God. I pray that you would, even this morning, wake us up. I pray that you would strengthen our salvation. That we'd remember where we've come from. We would remember what you've done for us on the cross. That you chose us. That you pulled us from death to life. I pray that we'd hold fast to that. That we'd believe that with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And God, if there's anyone in here this morning, that is either far from you, has abandoned you, that they would repent this morning. I pray if there's someone in here that doesn't know you as their Savior this morning, they would know that there's a loving God that sent his son Jesus to die and to rescue them from their sins, to rescue them from eternal hell, eternal separation from you that's offered to us through your son Jesus. I pray that we would be a church of repentance, God. I'm so grateful for the cross this morning. I'm so grateful for all that you've done this morning. I pray that you would continue to allow us to surrender to you this morning. I pray this in Christ's holy and mighty name.